calling all denizens of the dark, mavens of mayhem, and champions of chaos. Lock your doors and listen close. It's time for another episode of Spies, Lies, and Private Eyes. Here's your host, Terrence McCauley. I am Terrence McCauley, and this is Spies, Lies, and Private Eyes on the Authors on the Air Global Radio Network. My guest today is David Putnam. During his extensive law enforcement career, he worked in California in the patrol division, in investigations, SWAT, narcotics, major crimes, criminal intelligence, internal affairs, and the detective bureau. He also worked for the real Hawaii Five-O, of course, in Hawaii. He's now retired in California, where he grows organic avocados and writes great novels. He lives with his wife, Mary, and their three dogs. His latest book, A Fearsome Moonlight Black, is the first of his new David Beckett series from Best Level Books. Thank you for being here, David. We're looking forward to learning more about you. Thank you for having me. I really appreciate it. No problem at all. Why don't you tell us about your latest work and how it fits into the rest of your career? Um, my latest book is uh, called Fierce of Moonlight Black, and it's a it's a, right now it's a three book uh, a story arc, um, and it's Dave Beckett. And what happened was I um, I'm writing a Bruno Johnson series, and book ten comes out in in uh, February, and I'm a little bit ahead of the publisher, so I tried to write a memoir, and I and I wrote. I tried three different times. I couldn't get it to work. So the Dave Beckett book, the first one, A Fearsome Moonlight Black, the first half of the book is my first year as a cop. And so I wrote it exactly the way it happened. Um, and I was involved in some things that a lot of cops are involved in when, in their first year. And so mm -hmm. then uh, at the end of the, the first half, I write a scene that's uh, fiction then I link it to the second half, and it's eight years later, and Dave Beckett is, a, is a, an experienced homicide detective, and then um, he, he starts investigating the things that happened in the first half of the book, um, and that book comes out as it happens today. Wow, congratulations. Um, I'm glad we were your uh, happy publication <laughs> day, and uh, this is some great timing. It really yeah. is. Um, what year is, the, um, is this book start off in? I know you said it's a two-part what year and what's the location of it? It's, it's set, uh, it opens in 1979. Well, that's the year I went to, to the police academy, but it opens with him being on patrol, his first year on patrol. And it's set in uh, a fictitious town in um, Southern California. It's called West Valley, but it's taken, okay. it's taken after Ontario, California. Um, so a lot of the streets and uh, time period. And then the second half of, uh, goes eight years later and he's working for homicide out of San Bernardino. Okay. But Dave Beckett, he has a problem with um, authority, you might say, and he gets in trouble. So he has been dropped down from the homicide teams and he's working by himself. And he's called the bone detective because Samuel County is 20,000 square miles. It's the largest county in the contiguous uh, United States. Wow. It's um, so, uh, if they say that um, on the, if the dead bodies on the sides of the road from here to Vegas ever stood up, it would look like a forest. So we are there. Samuel County is constantly discovering remains 
And so they wow. have one detective that has, um, his, his job is to identify and try to figure out what happened. So Dave Beckett is the bone detective. And that series hopefully will continue on after the, the three books. Interesting. Now, does this have any kind of attachment to some of your earlier books that you've written, or is this completely a standalone series? Completely standalone, brand new start series. That's great. That gives you a lot of uh, a new slate to work with. For people who aren't familiar with your earlier books, could you talk to us a little bit about some of the series that you already had uh, published? Yeah, um, I was trying, I started writing in 1989. Um, I, was, I was an avid reader all my life and I was um, working on a uh, meth lab, I was on a surveillance of a meth lab. And it's not like when in the movies, a surveillance isn't, um, you put one guy on the eye and everybody else is laid off, hidden. And when the guy starts moving, then everybody jumps in their cars and starts the surveillance. So, you know, they paid me to drive a fast car, carry a gun and read novels. I mean, <laughs> so, so I kept these novels in the back of my car and I was out in the middle of Mojave Desert watching this meth lab. And I was down to my last book and I, I, it was a um, sophomore effort of this uh, famous international, uh, this first book was international bestseller. And I loved the first book, so I thought, oh, this is going to be a good one. What happens so often is an author will work 10, 15 years on the first book, sell it, mm -hmm. and then he has one year to get the next one out. So there's quite a few times after I find out later that the sophomore effort can be a, a problem, a problem book. So I started reading this one, and, and it was horrible. I could not. But I was a captive audience, so I read the whole thing. I thought, yeah, I could do better than this. And so I wrote my first four novels on the front seat of my cop car in wow. longhand. In longhand, and each book was four legal pads long. And then I couldn't type, so I paid a woman to um, transcribe it to a, a disc. And it was a big floppy disk, not the not the small floppy disk. Right. So, um, so I, I tried getting that selling that, and you know, fast forward um, from. 1989, I sold my first book in 2014, and I'd, I had written 38 manuscripts before I sold my first book. So I learned, it was a learn-as-you-go kind of thing, and it took me sure. longer because I was a, you know, knuckle-dragging uh, cop. Um, <laughs> so so uh, Bruno Johnson was the one I sold, and what happened was I, I tried writing a young adult mystery thriller, um, not mystery really thriller, um, sci-fi because I, I like reading everything so I try to write different different things and right. once I shifted to the thriller construction uh, construct the format that's when I started selling books um, and Bruno Johnson is an African-American he's an he's an ex-cop ex-con who rescues children from toxic homes he couldn't do okay. it when he was a, couldn't do it when he's a cop so he goes outside the law now to rescue the children and his, his father helps him and so does his wife and they um, have a, a makeshift orphanage down in Costa Rica. So, okay. so uh, he, he, lives, he lives down there taking care of his kids and his past keeps bringing him back to South Central Los Angeles where he was raised. And um, that's the first 10 books. And then book, book 11 and book 12, which Ocean View has, um, they don't, they're not out yet. The, the 10th one, The Scorn, comes out in February, and that's the last one that is set in Southern California. The next two, okay. 11 and 12, are, are going to be, they're, they're set entirely in Costa Rica, 
and I had a lot of fun writing those. I, I was surprised that I thought it was going to be difficult because I didn't live down there. But I went down there on a on a vacation, and then I, I decided to write down there. And so the next books, because uh, I've got the next two books already lined out, but I write them faster than Ocean View can publish them, and they only take one book a year. So right. I'm ahead of them. I'm ahead of them two books right now. Right, and that's mm -hmm. an, it, uh, that's a wonderful uh, dilemma to be in when you're uh, behind the publisher, but you're still churning out work behind the scenes. Do you ever find your various series blending into each other, or how do you keep the series all separate, especially if you're writing one on top of the other with a different series? Uh, you know, because I wrote those first 38 books, I, I, I developed a pretty good system. So mm -hmm. I, 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 it's, a, it's like a mind shift, and I don't take a lot of notes. I, I write in Microsoft Word, and what I do is I start with three plot lines. I don't know what's going to happen in the book. I don't outline the book. I just start with three solid plot lines. And then I do what's called scene, scene sequencing. So I'll do three scenes to establish the main plot line. And then I'll shift over to the right and do three scenes on the secondary plot line. And I'll shift the other side of the plot, the main plot, and do th three scenes. And I sequence the books all the way down. So I don't know what's going to happen. I just follow those three plot lines and that, that they tell me what's going to happen in the book yeah, as right. I sequence each, each scene. So um, I basically, I follow the character. So I know what, his, what Bruno's uh, moral base is, how he thinks, what he would do. Um, and I, I, those three plot lines, I write the books. So, the, right. so I do the same thing with the Dave Beckett books. I do the same thing. I'm, I have the second one done already even though this today's the first day that this one that the fierce of moonlight black comes out um, right and the second one's done i have um the, the three plot lines on the next one ready to go but in between bruno and dave beckett i had another thought of a um, because i found out that most of the, my readers are women 50 years and older so i thought okay. i would write a geriatric pro protagonist so I have a new series and I'm almost done with the second one. The first one I'm trying to entice an agent with, um, it's called The Blind Devotion of Imogene. And Imogene okay. is 75 years old. Imogene is 75 years old and she just got out of prison doing 10 years for murder she didn't commit. So now she's hmm. 75 years old, ex-con, and she's trying to integrate herself back into um, the public. And I had a lot of fun with that book too because it's a totally different uh, uh mindset because bruno is strong uh capable ex-cop he can do a lot of things but imogene she can't because she's 75 years old so yeah the, the, i'm almost done with the second book in that series that's fascinating because it, it is interesting when you limit your characters isn't it it makes it a little yeah. bit more of a challenge as a writer and it makes it uh, a lot of fun as a creative as well doesn't it right right you can write your stuff in the corner more quickly, for sure. Right. And then it's fun trying to figure out how to uh, get your protagonist out of the messes that we put them in. It's it's right. fascinating. How um, I know that you have a diverse law enforcement career, as I said earlier. How did uh, what, what do you think of all of the places that you served in law enforcement? What department or what assignment did you have that you think affects your writing the most? Uh, you know, it's, it's, I think as a whole, all of it 
affects my 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 law enforcement, my writing, because you know I, I specialized my most of my career. I think I only did three years or four years total out of thirty one on patrol, uh, mm-hmm. working the street, and then I specialized um, my I worked violent crimes. I was cross U.S. marshal, and I chased uh, murder suspects across three states, or followed bank robbers, or um, carjackers. It was a great job. I had a lot of fun doing it. But then at the wow. same time, I went. Uh, I shifted from that. I went to working major narcotics. I was working a, um, at the airport where I sat because I always, for years, I had these eight shirts that were, they were khaki shirts that had Grace Trucking on it and Carl. And I wore denim pants and I carried two guns under my shirt and I would wear a, a John Deere ball cap. So I, because I look too much like a cop, but right. when, I, when, I, when I dressed down like a truck driver, I could go anywhere. And my captain, because I did it for so many years, he quit calling me Dave and kept, started calling me Carl. And then everybody started calling <laughs> me Carl. <laughs> so I would sit in the airport with a crossword puzzle and just watch and not racially profile, but it's called criminal, criminal profiling. And I would see a smuggler and I'd go up and just talk to him. And I made all kinds of rest doing that. So that was, I would say, I would tell people that when I was working violent crimes, chasing murder suspects and bank robbers, I was, I was hunting grizzly. When I went to the airport, everybody goes through magnetometers. So now I'm just hunting salmon. <laughs> I'm just right. salmon. So I think right. all, all of it informs on, on my uh, writing. When I, uh, I did uh, my last year, I got pulled into internal affairs. They said they were going to promote me. So I was a sergeant in internal affairs. I hated the job. I sit at my desk and um, I just applied for work, the Hawaii 5 a special agent for the state of Hawaii, because my right. wife eventually wanted to go back to live there because that's where she was from. So oh, okay. they called me. I went and did an interview. I couldn't believe that nobody wanted a job. But um, once I got there, I realized the pay was so low and that's what's keeping the quality people from coming. But um, I retired in Southern California for 28 years with a full retirement. So okay. I went there. It wasn't a big deal. And it's if you watch the old Hawaii Five O, Steve McGarrett, my office was right across the street from the palace. You know, he, oh. had, he had his office in there. So if you stood at his office, looked across the street, that's where my office was. Um, wow. Right just beside the King Kamehameha statue and the, and the state building. I was down in the basement. And I'd come to work sometimes, and there was a fake white 5.0 car parked in my slot, you know, because the new, <laughs> the new, the new uh, series was starting up when I was right. there. And I was on a phone one time talking to a witness, and they're having a fake shootout outside my window. So Jeez. I'd explain to them, oh, it's not, that's gunfire, <laughs> but it's not. <laughs> so all of that, you know, it, it informed my writing, I think. Right. Right. And then it seems like another common element in some of your, uh, you know, in, in your private life that's gone into your uh, personal and into your uh, writing life is uh, exotic locations. You have Hawaii in one and then another series has Costa Rica. Uh, how important <laughs> is setting in your books? Uh, I know you had the fictional, the fictional um, city in Southern California that you created. Uh, the, how what kind of role does setting play for you well uh, like i said i'm an avid reader i mean i i've read like the year before last i read 150 books and posted reviews on them this year i'm a little bit slower because i'm writing two series at the same time so i think mm-hmm. i'm at 70, 75 books and i think that first number one is character voice is everything in writing 
you know, you, you could, you could, you know, you talk to somebody and they said, hey, this is the best book I ever, ever read. And you say, what's it about? And they stop and think, oh, I, I don't know what the book was about. It's because the voice carried the entire book. That's a little right. bit, a little bit over exaggeration. But second to character, setting. I try to make setting equal to a main character. So I'm constantly trying to polish and, and give setting an atmosphere. Um, I worked South Central Los Angeles, with, uh, you know, in the, in the 80s, mid 80s, which was a very ex exciting and unique experience. And the setting played a big part there as well. Um, yeah. as, as a patrol deputy back then, um, we didn't have handheld radios. So when we got out of our patrol car, we were, we were it. That's it. You're, you're on your own. So you, you dealt with whatever problem you had. You can't call for help. So that setting uh, is a very unique location. And I try to bring that out in the uh, earlier Bruno books. Uh, and all the, book, all the books do. But in that, the first few books, that is exactly the way it was when I was working there. Right, and that's the kind of detail that research might be able to give a writer, but there's no uh, substitute for experience that you definitely seem to have had it in that. Um, and, and, I, and it was also, you were on patrol during a lot of really interesting times in that part of the country. Yes, yes. I, I was working a SWAT team when, um, so I did nine years on SWAT, two tours, and I, mm -hmm. I was working a SWAT team during the Rodney King riots. Uh, wow. And I had a lot of um, great SWAT callouts too that were dynamic and interesting. And um, I talked to other SWAT guys, and I and I tell them some of the, the things that I was involved in. They said, "Yeah, that's unless you're with a big department, you don't get that, that kind of experience." San Bernardino County is twenty thousand square miles, so uh, one one SWAT team, well, they'd have two the sport teams. Two would be up. One would be entry, and one would be perimeter. But we'd have pagers back then, not cell phones, and we'd get paged. Mm -hmm. We get paged to the command post. But because San Bernardino is so big, many times I just get paged to the airport and we would go to the airport and the helicopter would pick us up and fly us to the SWAT call because it would take too long to get there otherwise. That, that's fascinating because you yeah. know, a lot of times if you read books or you see movies or TV series, you just, they, they roll up in the, the van, spill out and take care of the bad guys. But that kind of logistics, people tend to find interesting, especially from an authoritative voice like you've got. Right. Yeah. Yeah. It's uh, that, that. And yeah, that's the kind of detail I would imagine that you include in your work, which makes it popular. Yeah. Yeah. And I have a lot of fun writing it, too. Um, it brings back a lot of memories and, and keeps the memories fresh, too. So I don't want to forget. Right. Exactly right. And it's um, how do you strike a balance between having that kind of tactical experience in your real life? And how do you pepper it into your work without having it actually overwhelm it because as you know a little bit of action can go a long way in a uh, in a novel yeah uh, i uh, it took me a while like i said to publish a book and i didn't mm -hmm. start the person that hit me the between the eyes was a guy named dwight swain he was a professor of creative writing from oklahoma state and a lot of authors a lot of a lot of teachers will teach the theory and they haven't published any books yet this guy mm -hmm. had books actually published by the big five or big six probably back then and so he really knew what he was talking about so i bought his cds and i would drive back and forth listening to his cds over and over again and they're they're cds of his lecture of of how to write a novel and so mm -hmm. he has this this method where he call he says 
uh, it's more motivation, action, reaction. So there has to, you have to strike a balance when you're writing. And uh, the motivation is the most critical part. If you lack motivation and you have a small amount of action and a huge amount of reaction, you get melodrama. I mean, it's really right. interesting the way this guy broke this down. So my motivation is very long and my action is shorter, much shorter. So as I go, that's what, that's what dictates my, my storyline or my structure of the scene. So I, mm -hmm. I know that I have to have a longer motivation to set it up, then I have a smaller action. And then my, the whole idea for those first two is to get to the reaction because the emotion is what the reader's reading for. And so the R is the goal of the story. The action is just to, it's like a transition, but the motivation is, is critical as well, is as important as the R. So when you ask, I don't put that much action in because it'll overpower the story. Just like right. not enough emotion causes melodrama. So I, that's the balance I use. I use that as a barometer, the MAR, motivation, action, reaction. Right. And how would you say that you execute that in your latest book, the David Beckett book? The, uh, the other thing I do is I write a thriller's construction, which in a mystery construct, there's an odd number of scenes in each chapter. So each chapter will be, say, um, 25 to 35 chapters. And there's three, five or seven scenes in each chapter. Well, a thriller's mm -hmm. construct, it's one scene in 75 chapters. Each chapter is a scene in itself. So there are five things that a scene has to do to make it work. So if I, I have those five things in a mystery structure, I have a lot more room. In a thriller structure, I don't have that much room. So right. I like to, uh, I want a cadence in my stories. I want my stories to go, da -dun, da -dun, da -dun. oh, and the reader goes, I gotta go see what's going on. So I put those right. five things in. So I limit myself, I write a thousand words a day. Uh, so I get up in the morning and I go back 20 pages because um, authors, they're, they're just, they're people too. And they mm -hmm. have um, emotions, that, a range of emotions. They're elated. Yes, we do. <laughs> yeah, elated, depressed. So I don't want that to instruct my writing. So I go back 20 pages and I edit forward. So I get the, the cadence, the voice, the tone before I start the new stuff. 20 pages back, I write four pages forward. So I'm circling right. back on my work five times before I move forward. I only write one manuscript, one, one draft, because I do it this way. Right, right. Yeah, and that's that, that makes sense. I, I work a similar way, so I appreciate the effort. And then that way you get to see the seams as well and make sure they don't poke through in the final product. Right, right, yeah. Yeah, no, it's interesting to do it that way. Um, so this book is out today. Uh, happy yeah. Publication Day again. And when do you think we'll see the next book? And what do you think is, uh, can you give us a hint as to what to expect from David Beckett? You know, um, I, I like the first book a lot. And a lot of the um, beta readers and the net galley readers are comparing the first half of the book to Joseph Wamba because it is uh, a gritty street a description of what happens to a young cop when he first starts out. And uh, uh -huh. I try to write it to a quote that Wamba says. Wamba said that um, uh, he doesn't write what a cop does to the street. He writes about what a street does to a cop, which I thought was very interesting. So uh, I took that aspect of it and tried to show how Dave Beckett's character evolves 
Um, I'm gonna get off track from what, what you asked. Oh, and so what happened was the next book, and I can't think of the title. I have all the titles done. I have all the covers done. Um, mm -hmm. The next book is more of a, a tighter, more concise uh, thriller. It's less of, um, uh, of a mystery construct, like the first part of the uh, first book. So I'm, if I didn't cross the line, there's a fine line between confidence and arrogance. And Dave right. Bell tends to be, I try to walk that line but I, I'm worried that I might have stepped over a couple of times. But I think the second day Beckett book is a killer book. And it might be the best book I've ever written. So um, I'm, I'm curious to see what nobody's, nobody's seen it yet. So I don't know the publisher it's with them, but they haven't said they've read it or not. Right, right. Well, I know that uh, we're all going to be looking forward to seeing it whenever it comes out. And we wish you the best of luck with this one. Uh, once again, it's called A Fearsome Moonlight Black, and it's the first in David Putnam's new series. David, how can people find you? Where can they get in touch with you online, your website, social media, things like that? Uh, my website and my email would be david at davidputnambooks.com, or you can get me at writedeputydave at yahoo.com. And I, I'm always helping other authors with their uh, police procedurals or writing. I teach a class on how to write a novel. Um, if anybody's interested, I, I to get more than three or four people together. I, I teach a class on how to start a novel. Fantastic. That's all going to be great information for our listeners and for anybody who's looking to take their hands at the creative process. I want to thank you, David, for being here. It was great to have you here on the show. And uh, until next time, everybody, I am Terrence McCauley, and this has been Spies, Lies, and Private Eyes on the Authors on the Air Global Radio Network. You have been listening to Spies, Lies, and Private Eyes with host Terrence McCauley on Authors on the Air Global Radio Network.